One of the most memorable things about this liturgy is, of course, the washing of the feet. And although we don't have the washing of the feet this time, we can still recognize the great mysteries that the washing of the feet signifies. This is one of the only masses where what we're actually supposed to preach about is focused in the Roman Missal itself. It says there's three principal mysteries that we celebrate tonight. The first is the institution of the priesthood. The second, the giving of the new commandment. And the third, the institution of the Eucharist. It's interesting that the real meaning of the washing of the feet has deep ties to the priesthood of Aaron and his sons in the Old Testament, according to the covenant with Moses. And it's this meaning that Peter does not initially understand. So let's begin unpacking the mystery of the priesthood, the new commandment, and the Eucharist through the foot washing. We read that Peter said to Jesus, You will never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash your feet, you have no inheritance in me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head as well. What is happening in this dialogue? What on earth does Jesus say that makes Peter realize that he's talking about something more and makes him do an about face, washing not only the feet but the hands and the head as well? Part of the rite of ordination for Aaron and his sons in the Levitical priesthood was foot washing. One of the things, the 12 tribes, they went into the promised land. They each received a portion of land as an inheritance, except for one of those tribes, the tribe of Levi. The very word for inheritance here used, meros in the Greek, is the same word used for what the tribe of Levi inherited in the promised land. It wasn't land at all. It was the Lord himself. That's why we hear in the Psalm of the Levite, Psalm 16, the great Levitical Psalm, Lord, you are my portion and cup. You yourself are my prize. The lot marked out for me is my delight. Welcome indeed is the heritage that falls to me. The land that the Levite received wasn't so much an earthly thing, It was a heavenly thing. The Levite received the Lord himself. The moment when Jesus says, if I do not wash your feet, you will have no heritage in me. Peter recognizes this is a priestly washing. This is the preparation of ordination that Aaron and his sons experienced. And so, of course, Peter says, well, then not only my feet, but my head and my hands as well. Can you guess what other parts of the body of Aaron and his sons were washed before they were ordained, their hands and their head. Peter very much recognizes what's going on after he hears the Lord's words. There's a new priesthood and therefore a new covenant, but there's another new element tied with it. Just as at Sinai with the covenant with Moses came the law of the Ten Commandments, the new covenant has a new law as well. One of my favorite lines in the letter to the Hebrews is chapter 7, verse 12. Whenever there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law also. 
When there's a change in priesthood, there's got to be a new law. And this new law is our gospel antiphon today. The new commandment, love one another as I have loved you. This is a mysterious law. This element of the new covenant, the new law, means something for the building up of the new temple. Now, just a little further in this Last Supper discourse, the beginning of chapter 14, Jesus begins to talk about the heavenly dwelling places. He begins to say, In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have said, I will go and prepare a place for you. This reading is often used at funerals, and we hear of the Father's house and the heavenly dwelling places as something in heaven, something beautiful we look forward to, these beautiful mansions where we all have a home in heaven. And yet, the fulfillment of those words is not merely in heaven. In fact, not even primarily in heaven. The fulfillment of the words, in my Father's house are many dwelling places, is actually something we participate in here and now. There's only one other time in St. John's Gospel in which my Father's house, those words, are used. It's all the way back in chapter 2 when Jesus is driving out the money changers in the temple. He says, do not make my Father's house a marketplace. Then he shifts the idea of the temple being a building in Jerusalem to his very own body. He says, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. He's already changing what the meaning of the temple in Jerusalem is. It's no longer a building. It's his own body. That's the Father's house. That's the dwelling place of the Father and the Holy Spirit. And that's the new temple that Jesus is bringing in when he's talking to the apostles about the new covenant, the new sacrifice, and the new priesthood. These many rooms, the word monoi, comes from the word to abide, abiding places. So that idea of an abiding place within Jesus' body, the new temple, goes all the way back to Ezekiel. When Ezekiel talks about the temple, he talks about the little rooms, or monoi, these abiding places. They were actually the places where the priests would stay within the temple when they came to offer sacrifice. So Jesus is alluding to these abiding places within his body where we will stay as priests and offer sacrifice. But surprisingly enough, that's not the only place that these abiding places are mentioned by Jesus in chapter 14. Just a little later on in the gospel, Judas, not the Iscariot, but Judas Thaddeus, asks Jesus a question. He says, Lord, how will you manifest yourself to us but not to the world? Jesus responds by saying, if a man loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him, and we will come and make our dwelling place within him. The same word monoi is used. So now we have these two meanings. We have this dwelling place of us in the Father's house, which is the body of Jesus himself, and then we have the dwelling places within us that the Father and the Son come to abide in. 
So which is it? Is God preparing a place for himself within us for he and his father to dwell? Or is it a place in his own body, the temple, for us to offer priestly service? Which is it? The answer, of course, we're Catholic. It's both and. It's not either or, it's both and. The entire key to unpack these dwelling places of the new temple of the new covenant is the Eucharist. All the way back in John chapter 6, verse 56, we hear, He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. The Eucharist is the key that unlocks this temple language, this priestly language. The entire key to our faith, the new temple, the new priesthood that the apostles are brought into, and the sacrifice that these priests offer, the Eucharist, Jesus' body, blood, soul, and divinity, that key that unlocks those mysteries is the Eucharist itself. Whenever we receive the Eucharist, our hearts become the abiding place of the Father and Son to dwell within us, and we also offer our priestly sacrifice, our spiritual sacrifice, in the body of Jesus himself, which is, of course, the church. It's the new temple. It's the Father's house. All of those things are the same mystery. Jesus actually alludes to this when he says to his apostles, I've given you an example or a pattern, a model. It's the same word used in Exodus when God is revealing to Moses how to build the tabernacle, the dwelling place of God. He says, I am giving you a model to build this temple where I may abide. And that same word, hupodegma, used in chapter 13 today is used in Exodus. It's the model of the construction of this temple. But this temple is not made up of blocks, of material things. This temple is made up of souls. The temple that builds up Jesus' body, the church, is you and me. The key to what holds this building together is that new commandment to love one another as I have loved you. Only by the love of God are we able to be built up into that spiritual temple and become a dwelling place of God. Now, take for a moment, think about for a moment, take a step back the new commandment that Jesus gives us. How on earth are we supposed to fulfill that? Love one another as I have loved you? That's insane when you think about it. How on earth are we supposed to love one another as God loves us? How does God love? God the Father pours out his entire self into the person of the Son. The Son then pours himself completely in love back to the Father, This mutual pouring out we call the Holy Spirit. How on earth can we love God in this way? By pouring out a divine person to the triune God? It's through the Eucharist itself. Because Jesus gives himself body, blood, soul, and divinity, we are able to give our entire self 
and everything we have received in the Eucharist, which is the person of the Son himself. Do you doubt that this is true? That we offer God to God in the love of God. That we love God with the same love with which he loves himself. Do not doubt it, for as we have in the words of the divine mercy, Eternal Father, I offer you the body and blood, soul and divinity of your dearly beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Those are bold words. They tell us that the great gift we receive in the Eucharist, Jesus himself, when we give God back that great spiritual gift we've received, we enter into divine Trinitarian love. Because of the gift of the Eucharist, we receive the Son and offer him totally back to the Father. It is the Eucharist that is the pattern and model of love and sacrifice to follow. Only by receiving the Eucharist can we fulfill the commandment, love one another as I have loved you, because only by the power of the Eucharist can we actually receive God and have the power, the audacity to offer God himself.